Hello, and welcome to Biofilm Podcast. This is a show where I interview biomedical and life science professionals and ask them about their career, opinions about current events or thought-provoking topics, and their taste in movies or TV. Yeah, that's a really good question, because when I tell you what I really do, you're going to think, like, that's crazy. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Biofilm Podcast, a show that brings you to the forefront of biomedical research, biotech, pharma, and healthcare fields, and the professionals behind it. I'm your host, Pavel Rezhov. On this episode of Biofilm Podcast, I welcome a fellow PhD graduate from Sanford Burnham Prebis Medical Discovery Institute, Marisa Sanchez. She graduated in 2019 and since then started working in Reveal Biosciences, a San Diego-based biotechnology company which specializes in computational pathology. Today we're going to explore her scientific journey, transition from academia to industry and find out how she managed to climb a mountain of various professional and personal challenges. Oh, and Mount Everest. Welcome to the podcast, Marissa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So before we jump into a conversation about your journey, I like to have this recurrent segment on my podcast where I ask my guests about their favorite movie or TV show that they have recently watched or rewatched. And now it's, you know, fitting. It's a bit fitting because we have a bit of time on our hands. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Friends is always my favorite number one go to. Uh, I like to have it on the background and definitely have been rewatching that many times now. Yeah. Um, but I also recently started watching Ozark, um, which I've heard a lot of other people have been watching too. So, uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that a TV show or a movie? I, it's I on care. Netflix. It's oh, a, okay. on Netflix, yeah. yeah. As long as it's not Tiger King, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I already did that one. <laughs> okay, okay. So if, you, if your favorite uh, show is, is Friends, what are you, you going to subscribe to HBO Max now? Because I think it's going to go from Netflix. I might have to. Okay. I might have to. <laughs> That's where my loyalty is to Friends. Yeah, okay. Well, I think a lot of people are, will probably have to do that at some point because HBO Max will just steal the, the Friends away from, from Netflix. And I think Office is going to be gone too at some point. Too. Yeah, so then why have Netflix? Yeah, I think it's, it's a good time to actually start earning money and to subscribe to all these different services. So I think um, uh, in the same way that you have also uh, graduated SVP, and truth be told, we haven't had a chance to talk too much while we were there. And I feel that's partially my fault. I've been a bit socially awkward. And I, I'm trying to mitigate that by doing this channel, for example. So with that in mind, my question to you, in which way do you think you've grown? What was the the point of biggest growth that you had on the personal level that you had to face during your PhD? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, I think going into my PhD, I had some idea of how hard it would be. I knew it was going to be, you know, really challenging and, and, um, and force me to kind of do things that I, I wasn't used to doing. But I think um, one of the biggest things that helped me grow grow through that process was accepting failure <laughs> and learning from failure and um realizing that it's okay to fail and um no data is still data <laughs> so um it's i think uh, accepting kind of um those mountains and molehills that come your way and just realizing that um that life, much like a PhD program, is like a roller coaster. There's always going to be um, downs, but then there's always ups. So um, I think I really learned to um, kind of grow from my mistakes and my failures. And that's something that, you know, you can carry over in life. For sure. I, I experienced my fair share of failures too. And my 
I, I think I really had a hard time experiencing and sort of overcoming the failures, but specifically maybe from the point of view of, I didn't see that uh, the, uh, the progress that I've been making was actually meaningful. So can you elaborate a little bit in terms of what, what were your actual, like sort of what were your thoughts going through in terms of like, okay, this experiment failed. And then you had these, a number of successful experiments just failing out of nowhere like what was the how did you really overcome this what was your mental yeah. state going in of course because that definitely happened all the time let yes, me tell you exactly yes. um, i think you know in the beginning it, especially going into it i feel like everyone experiences some sort of imposter syndrome so you kind of feel like your experiments going wrong or um you know not getting a paper accepted or something as a reflection of your own um, talents and your own intelligence when it's really not, you know, there's a lot of things you can control and there's a lot of things you just can't sometimes. And um, I think for me, it was really um, understanding that, you know, I, I over, I needed to overcome that kind of imposter syndrome and that mindset. Um, and it did, it just took some time, like in the beginning, you know, the first two years, I definitely, um, kind of took all of those mistakes as a reflection of myself when um, I really shouldn't. And I really did, you know, belong to uh, where I was and I, I did um, deserve the, the success that, that came after it. Absolutely. So um, it, it was mainly just kind of overcoming that mindset of, of everything. All of your failures are a reflection of yourself when it's really not, it's, they're meant to kind of help you grow and, um, and it just, it just took time. <laughs> For sure. So you, I think you also had some time working in a laboratory before you started your PhD and you've done it, I think, for a number of years. So how did that laboratory experience change between the, the before and during the PhD? What was the main uh, sort of uh, big, biggest challenge that you have faced? Because I think, you know, working in the laboratory is, can be very different if you don't have your own maybe like project to carry over, right? Sure. Yeah. So when, um, well, I, I began working in a lab in my undergrad at UCSD. So I had a little bit of experience there, but um, that was mainly just, you know, kind of monotonous technician work. And then uh, when I graduated UCSD, I worked at the La Jolla Institute for um, Immunology. And I worked there for two years in a virology lab. And that was a really great experience um, because it was acad an academic lab. I really um, got exposed to hard science and it was really fascinating. And I think transitioning from that kind of, I was a lab manager there. I kind of um, ran the everyday operations, but then worked on a bunch of different experiments for different projects. So I was kind of all over the place. And then coming into a PhD program, I really had to narrow down my focus and then become an independent scientist. And I think that was the main kind of difference is I was dependent on a lot of other people um, working in the lab before and then moving into a PhD program, I really had to rely on myself. And of course, my mentor was there to, you know, supervise and help. Um, but it was really expected that you were, you were to become an independent thinker and an independent scientist and getting kind of thrusted into that was very um, shocking at first. So, but that's how you learn, right? You just kind yeah. of swim. <laughs> So if you were doing virology or working in that area in your undergrad, and then you went into the uh, protein translation laboratory, essentially, which are two different things. And we're going to talk a little bit later about the, the, what fascinates you about that. But 
what was the uh, logic behind you applying to SVP versus uh, UCSD or some other places? Like, what were you looking for from yeah. your PhD experience? Yeah, so I did apply to a lot of different places. So I applied to, you know, big universities, obviously UCSD as well. Um, but what really struck me a lot, I also applied to a lot of small programs like um, Cedar sinai uh, their yeah. program is pretty small. Um, and I think what really struck me about those programs was that they were very um, focused and they were very hands-on. And I just felt like I could get more out of that experience than if I was just a number at a university and just had to sit in on exams all the time. Um, I just didn't feel like that was the right experience for me. I felt like I kind of needed um, more of a kind of all-inclusive collaborative environment. And that's pretty much exactly what SBP offered. Um, I'm sure you know, like, it's very easy to collaborate and you could literally talk to any of the deans at any time. And um, I think that was that was a really valuable thing that that program offered and, and the ability to really start your project and not have to do um, a year or two of, of rotations. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that was very appealing. Yeah. And um, I was kind of lucky that I um, got placed in the lab that I did and uh, was able to, to start, you know, working on um, my projects right away, so. Yeah, definitely. In terms of saving time with rotations, this, I, I, I completely agree. And this is one of the, I think, uh, very, I guess, unique features about SVP. I know other places also tr try and get a, uh, avoid doing rotations. But one biggest, bigger thing about SVP that I really like is uh, you can always find parking. So I think that's, <laughs> that saves you so much time. So uh, that's like, it cannot be overstated. You know, when you look for parking every day, I think you could you could graduate by one one year, uh, you know, yeah. longer than than otherwise, right? <laughs> your sanity, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So now that you're in the PhD program, you're doing protein translation, uh, and uh, this is a very fascinating corner of cell biology. Uh, and having had the tutorial with your mentor, Professor Dieter Wolf, uh, I just really was struck by the complexity of like all those different proteins that go into regulating this process. So. What was the most uh, exciting part for you when you started and how did it really change and evolve over time by the time you graduated? What was the thing that you wish you actually uh, had a chance to do a little bit more research on? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, so I think going into it, I think I was just like awestruck and a little bit overwhelmed at how much protein tra translation and all of these signal transduction pathways involved in so many aspects of protein synthesis um, and regulation were involved in everything, <laughs> that it was almost like I was given this huge umbrella of a topic to look at and I, I could go kind of anywhere with it. Um, but, I, but our lab at the time was a cancer biology lab and I knew I wanted to go into cancer biology and obviously signals transduction and, and protein um, regulation is a huge thing in, in cancer biology. So I think going down that path was really the most interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I did branch off and, and study, you know, different kind of um, fundamental mechanisms, but then I got to, you know, um, get, do some deep diving into cancer biology as well and, and be on some really interesting um, studies and, and projects and papers and everything. So I think um, the complexity of protein translation um, or mRNA translation, I should say, um, is is just you know pretty ubiquitous in in a lot of cellular processes and and it's fascinating in that aspect that even you know in 
um, virology and viral replication, you'll see the same pathways that you see in cancer biology or in, you know, um, just epithelial growth pathways, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it that's pretty much what um, hooked me into kind of that that lab and wanting to continue with that. Yeah. So in terms of the pr- protein translation, as you say, it's very uh, per- pervasive, if you will, in terms of so many different avenues for further um, um, uh, for further exploration in terms of research. What were maybe some of the things that you wanted to address that you didn't have a chance to, to study, like in your maybe final few months of working in the lab? Like what are you like one last experiment that you wanted to do? Yeah, so it was always the, the goal to do um, a proof of principle in a cancer model um, for, for some of the factors that I was looking at. And it wasn't necessary uh, for my, my project or, or my paper, but it would have been nice to kind of have a proof of principle um, study in a, and I think we were looking at breast cancer um, xenografts at the time. So mm-hmm. something like that would have been like the cherry on top, but yeah. I was also, you know, ready to, to be done. So yeah. no, I, I, I completely understand. And speaking of being ready to be done, what were your uh, thoughts in the, in the final few months of your PhD? What was the sort of the trajectory that you wanted to set for yourself after you graduate and how did it ultimately lead into the position that you're in? I think this is a very crucial point for a lot of PhD students. I mean, I'm sort of in the middle of that too, like finding yourself beyond what defines yourself as a PhD student. What was going on through your mind at that time? Oh, it's such a, it's such a weird mindset to have because for, you know, the last four plus years, you're kind of so honed in on one thing and then you have to, you have to imagine life after that. And it's almost like that doesn't even exist because you've been doing this for so long. So it was really hard to kind of like get past that and realize that I'm going to have a job at a certain point, you know? Um, But I think what, what really helped me was really setting goals for myself and, and, Um, I think I got to a point in the last few months where all I was doing was writing my thesis, maybe a few experiments here and there, but I was pretty much just writing and I, I would just make sure like, okay, every day I have to write a certain amount or um, get to a certain point. But at the same time, I was applying for, uh, for jobs in, in tandem. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, doing my research on different jobs that I was interested in. I was trying to, um, network and, and kind of applying for a job is, and finding a job is also like a job in itself. So I completely agree. Yeah, yes, it definitely. A, it was a tough balance. And I will say I didn't make a lot of progress in that while I was writing my thesis because that was always mm-hmm. a priority. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think I, so I ended up graduating in May. I started applying for jobs in February. Um, mm-hmm. And I, but I don't think I really made any real progress until after I graduated. Mm -hmm. So it was good for me to start looking beforehand to see what was out there and wrap my head around the idea of um, what did I really see myself doing Mm -hmm. after, you know, my PhD. And I kind of just had to do a lot of self-reflection on, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Every job application I, I saw or job description, I had to really imagine myself, would I do this? would, do I want to be a bench scientist running, you know, assays all day? I don't know. I think I have more strengths than that in other areas. So Mm -hmm. it was really a matter of going through tons of job descriptions and really just kind of being realistic and being honest with yourself. Like, do you really want to do this? Or are you just desperate for a job? Yes, yes, yes. 
So um, what, you, what is your one, number one strength that you found that was beyond just being a bench scientist that was like, okay, this is, that's why I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So it was, I mean, I've always loved doing bench work. I've always loved the hands-on doing experiments, but I always kind of felt like maybe that wasn't my number one strength. Um, I, I definitely realized over time that I think maybe, um, my communication skills and, um, were a little bit more valuable. Like a bench scientist might not need as much of communication skills as maybe someone that was more in the field or someone that was working more hands-on with people. And I kind of realized through the last few years of my um, PhD being a uh, vice president and president of the graduate um, student class <laughs> uh, body that um, I really enjoyed working with people. I really enjoyed um, being a leader in that sense. And so I was kind of looking for more jobs that, that um, encompassed more communication skills, um, but also needed that, that uh, scientific background that is rooted in like deep, um, hard science. Yeah. So with that in mind, you've been going, how many jobs, job applications did you end up applying for? Oof. Um, Rough estimate. Less, less than a hundred. Wow. Uh, more than maybe, maybe not quite 50, maybe up there towards, towards 50, but. Okay. Okay. Um, wow. A good, a good amount. And maybe a lot of them were probably just like, oh, this is easy. I can just submit my resume. And I yeah. didn't even think twice about it. But yeah. the ones that I really was, were um, focused on were the ones that I was kind of like, you know, this sounds like something I really want to do. I'm going to like really work hard, make this like, you know, a really good resume or, or cover yeah. letter. Definitely. So now you're an application scientist with revealed biosciences. And obviously, uh, application scientists can mean a lot of different things depending on the company and product or service that you're involved with. So can you elaborate a little bit on what, that, what, what is it that you're doing at revealed biosciences now? Yeah, that's a really good question because when I tell you what I really do, you're going to think like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, I, so Reveal Biosciences is a um, relatively small biotech startup company. We've been around since 2012 um, and we, there's about 35 employees now. So not a huge company, but also not a you know, fresh startup company, um, which is such a great environment. Um, I really love the biotech kind of startup vibe. And we're very well established um, in San Diego and all over the company. But what I do as an application scientist, I, I'm the only application scientist within the company. And I work with pretty much all of the teams. I work with um, the uh, executive um, leaders to come up with ideas for um, how to implement certain products. I, come, I work with the commercial team and marketing to um, help with scientific materials like um, uh, brochures and, and, the, and our website. And um, I work with the lab team mostly to um, uh, manage projects within our pipeline. And um, I, but I mostly also work with clients. So I'm pretty much the main um, client facing contact that when we get an inquiry or someone wants to come and do a study with us, I'm the one that will design the study. I will work with the clients to figure out what their study goals are and I'll put together the project for them, um, plan out the pricing for them. And then um, 
work with them to kind of get the study started. And then I'll run it through our lab team, see it through our whole pipeline and, and work on um, their reports at the end. And so I, I pretty much see it goes on. <laughs> beginning to end. I do, I do a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. A little bit of everything. I wear a lot of different hats and it's really awesome though. Um, getting, I write articles you know, for the website. I did a, I um, made a poster. We were supposed to present at AACR this year. Um, so I did a poster for that. And so I still get, you know, some of that academic work in, um, which is fun. Yeah. But, I ha as a science communicator myself, I, I want to say I'm definitely jealous of what you're doing. That sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like an awesome job. It's, I have to say I am enjoying it a lot. <laughs> so Fantastic. don't worry, Fantastic. there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because science communication is something that we obviously as PhDs have a, have some training in and uh, some of us even have passion in doing that. And definitely when I get to hear some, someone like you, which exactly does this scientific communication but across so many different you know mm -hmm. avenues and with so many different people on executive level and the mid-tier level and on the you know lab level it mm -hmm. sounds like just such a good training experience and you know yeah. you get to learn and do a lot of things at the same time yeah it's really been great um i've been i've been so lucky and so grateful to to have found this job and and um you know my team is like my family now it's 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 it, i can't complain <laughs> that's that's perfect that's perfect so now that you've been with the company for um i guess about um what is it like seven months six seven, yeah i started months? in september so um yeah um, eight months now okay so now that you had some uh, you know experience working there you find yourself in the midst of a pandemic so what was going on through your head in terms of maybe your job security, career trajectory? Like, how does that really affect what you had to do on a day to day basis? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been, I was again, pretty lucky in that a lot of what I can do, I can do remotely. It's not ideal, but um, I've been able to make it work um, remotely. A lot of it is emails, um, you know, conference meetings through Zoom or, or um, phone calls. And a lot of it is writing reports. Um, we have various types of software, um, you know, Slack, um, project management software where we can, you know, manage all of the projects in real time. So that's been really helpful. Um, and as far as job security, I was, um, we definitely had a meeting about it when all this was happening. And, and we've been very fortunate to secure enough funding to where no one was, you know, their, no one's job was compromised. Um, every, we were all able, even the lab staff that, um, you know, have to actually do the work in the lab, we were able to, to find work for them to do remotely since a lot of the work we do is virtual. Um, and, um, you know, it's been, it, we've been able to adapt pretty well, I think. So yeah. it's been weird because, you know, we work with a lot of other institutions and, and companies that they might not necessarily be operating right now. So a lot of our, um, uh, the studies that we usually have incoming have decreased, but then we have an increase in other types of projects that are mm -hmm. mostly virtual, which is um, really helpful for us. So yeah, so not too bad. <laughs> that's 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 very good. The last thing you want is to actually worry about things like job security after you got your job, right? Because yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to be in that position. So exactly. in terms of the application scientist position that you have, you said you were the you're basically the first and only application scientists in the company. So how does that make you feel in terms of the learning curve or the, the big shoes that you need to fill or these big 
the, the, the top brass that you need to satisfy and like what's the, what's going on through your like fresh out of PhD program right into this type of uh, big boys game or something like that like is it, is it challenging how did you really adjust to just changing your mindset and things like that it was definitely scary at first because I had I had no industry experience I was being hired I, I, I didn't do a postdoc I was being hired, you know, obviously they, they knew that. And I was, you know, worried about what kind of expectations they would have. Um, but in the beginning, uh, everyone that I worked with was so helpful and just very understanding that, you know, I just literally just got my PhD a couple months ago. They just needed someone to help in these areas and anything that I could do would, would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got thrown into it. So I just kind of, you know, a lot of what we do is pathology and um, uh, histology. And, uh, you know, I had a vague understanding of a lot of those, those methods, but I was just kind of thrown into it where, you know, after a couple weeks, I needed to know everything that we did. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of the best way to learn, really. I, it was something that was all very interesting to me. And so I was able to kind of pick it up really well. And, it was, there was definitely a steep learning curve, but everyone was very understanding, mm -hmm. um, of, you know, who I was and my experience and, and really appreciated what I brought to the table, you know, nonetheless. So, yeah. um, it was, it was kind of scary starting your first, you know, job out of, out of your PhD, but it was, you know, if you find the right job, then, then, you know, so yeah. it, it was, yeah, that's really nice to hear. And going back to our conversation earlier about failures, do you feel like you had some, I guess, missteps of failures along the way in those like first like a month or couple of weeks? And how did you really use your PhD training to, to overcome that? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely set high expectations for myself which I should have known, like I, I should not do. So anytime I would make a mistake or something, I would kind of, you know, take it in, take it in and like internalize it when really I should just ask for help or, or, and it wasn't a big deal in my, I would always make a big deal of it in my head, but it really wasn't because I could just go to someone and be like, Hey, I accidentally did this. Can you help me figure it out? And it wasn't a big deal at the end of the day. That's good. So I definitely kind of learned that, um, I still make mistakes to this day every now and then, but I know how to handle them better because it's, it's, I'm on a team now, which is kind of different coming from your PhD. You're very much independent. Everything's kind of on you. Um, you are responsible for your success. Whereas I'm on a team now, it's not just me. If I am struggling with something or if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I can go to a handful of people and, and they will help me. And it's not going to make me look weak or, mm -hmm. or, you know, make me look like I can't do my job. It's, it's all such a, a very um, supportive environment. And that's, that's been the main difference that's helped. Yeah. What's the secret sauce of getting hired? Like, what did you have to demonstrate to them to get into such a you know, position that you're in? Like, I think there's, you can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm good with science communication. What, uh, yeah, what, no. was the, what was the rationale behind, behind them saying, Marisa can do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I wish I had the answer for everybody, but it's definitely different for everyone. And I think it was just getting the interview. I knew that if I could just get an interview with someone, I can, you know, make my case. I can sell, you know, my, myself and my story, how I needed to do that. 
Um, so I hadn't really gotten that many interviews and it was really just the timing was right. Um, I did find this job on LinkedIn. So a great platform, um, to reach out to people. And, um, someone reached out to me about this job months ago and I hadn't even seen their message. And then finally, maybe in August, I had seen this message and, um, and was like, Oh, it looks like they're still hiring for this position. Maybe I'll give it a shot. And it worked out. And so it was really landing the interview that made the difference because I did have to do a, um, a 30 minute presentation on something on uh, my um, previous experience, but focus on the pathology aspects of it, which I didn't have a lot of my previous work that involved a lot of pathology. So I kind of had to, you know, work, rework that a little bit, but um, it was, it was really just giving a good presentation. I think that made all the difference because now when I sit in interviews, you can tell very easily from a person's presentation, how they communicate, how they think about things. And I think that's really, you know, depending on the job, that's a really big benefit depending on, you know, if it's your strength or your weakness. So I think um, if you are lucky enough to get an interview and the opportunity to do a presentation, I think that's really where you can shine. Yeah. So from the altitude that you're in right now, which is, you know, having, having this position for a while, having made that jump, which is the almost sacred jump for a lot of scientists from academia to the industry and looking back down into the valley of failures of (laughs) through undergrad and grad school, what was the biggest thing that you feel proud of in terms of what you've done? And what do you think would be the best advice to give to your younger self? that was looking up on that mountain. Yeah, I think, um, I think I would be most proud of my perseverance, um, not giving up because there were plenty of times when I wanted to. Um, and I think um, knowing now what I know, I think um, to tell you know people starting their PhD or still in their PhD, it's not impossible to make the jump. It will happen. Um, you just have to keep persevering and working hard. And it, it's, it's just going to be, you know, I, I, I kind of believe that everything happens for a reason. And, and you know, it's, um, there is some luck involved. But if you just keep trying and keep persevering, I think that you, you will get there. You will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great advice. But perseverance can only be as good as maybe the work-life balance. So maybe... Sure. One of the last questions I want to ask is, how did your uh, work-life balance change from graduate school to what you have to do in the industry? Like, do you feel like you still have that work-life balance? Which one is harder, grad school or industry work? Oh gosh, grad school is so much harder. Um, don't get me wrong, my days, my uh, my days when I was in the office and even now um, are busy all day. I, I am definitely busy. It's a very like fast paced environment, but it's all really interesting. And I get to work with a lot of really great people. So it's, it's not exhausting. You know, it's not, um, it's, it doesn't weigh down on you the way (laughs) nonstop working through your PhD does. Um, I think when I was, when I was doing my PhD, there was very little work-life balance. And I, I knew that my next job, I needed that because there was, I was burnt out so fast within my PhD and I'm, I'm sure everybody is, you know, after, gosh, probably like a year. Yeah. yeah you get a, you get third degree burns that never really heal. 
Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, when I started my, my industry job, I, I was shocked that like I could leave at like 5 PM. Like it was, I, I, I still to this day, well, I don't go in the office now, um, you know, because of pandemic, but when I was, um, still in the office, I would still feel guilty when I left at 5 PM when it's like, nobody cared that I left when I was supposed to. And if I wanted to leave a little bit early, it was also fine. (laughs) And, um, and if I, you know, I, now I, I, it's, it's great. It's just been really nice. I don't have to work on weekends. Like I, I almost never work on weekends, which was Mm -hmm. in my PhD. I was always working on weekends. So it's, it's definitely a, a healthier lifestyle for sure. That's very good. And I guess it gives you some opportunity to also continue doing the self-reflection. So in the PhD, we have, uh, we have ultimate goal of getting to the finish line and getting the PhD in the job that you have, like, what does that translate into? What's the, what's the, what's the next frontier that you're trying to get to? That's a, that's a good question. And um, actually being in this position has like really kind of help me figure out what I want to do in my, you know, this new trajectory and something I, I maybe never would have thought of during my PhD because I just didn't know. Um, but I really do like working with people and um, communicating science to people and, and um, kind of spreading the mission of like our company. And um, I could see myself kind of moving up in that way um, throughout different biotech companies, maybe becoming a, a project manager or a, um, a lead uh, application scientist at some point, um, potentially even the CSO of a company one day. Um, something you know along those lines where I get to, I get to um, work with the science in kind of a big picture aspect, but also share it with people yeah. um, and help kind of build the company that way. So still don't know what that exactly looks like, but, um, I think, you know, it's, it's where I am now. I I feel like I'm in a good place to kind of try different things. I think it's kind of akin to doing a PhD, you know, like you have a vague idea of what that would look like and you definitely want to take the, all the necessary steps and put it, put in the hard work, but it's okay to not exactly know exactly what your thesis would look like. Yeah. Cause you don't. And at the end of the day, it's going to work out the way, you know, it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Marisa, for taking the time to speak with me today. It was it was absolutely fun. Of course. Pleasure. It's all mine. <laughs> thank you.